We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that you, your, of your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they had handed him and made it an idol, in an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of, Israel, out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. And they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And they've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord, said the Lord to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation." But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O oh Lord, he said, why would your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. And they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. And the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made, burned it in the fire, and he ground it to a powder, and then he scattered it on the water, and he made the Israelites drink it. And he said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And Moses saw that the people running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side and go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. And Moses said, You 
You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. And the next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now we'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. And the Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for the, their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Lord, teach us again that you are worthy of worship and that your jealousy demands that you alone be the one to receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? As you're being seated, you'll see that big idea is on the screen right behind us, that God is worthy of worship. His jealousy demands that he alone receive it. We've set up the background, and you know how we're ju jumping into this passage, but I, I want to give you today five things that leap out of this passage. But to help you out as you're taking notes today, I, I want you to see how this is divided because the first two points that we're going to look at deal with the people of Israel and the last three points deal with Moses and his response. And that's important because what we see is the worst possible scenario taking place, but it brings out the very best in Moses. The worst possible thing that could have ever happened and all of a sudden through that we see God's leadership and God's movement in a man and there's a lot that we can learn not only about worship but about God's call on our life in the midst of times of spiritual apostasy. I don't think I have to a lot of spend a lot of time in this sermon explaining to you that we live in a day, a day and age of spiritual apostasy, that people hate God, that God is a God who is not honored, he is not praised, that the person and work of Jesus Christ is defamed, that the gospel is perverted. We live in a time in which there are God-haters. The Bible calls them insolent, people that defy the very things of God, the laws of God, the person of God and certainly the person and work of Christ. And so we live in a day, an age of spiritual adultery, a time that many would argue is just as wicked and just as perverse as the time when Moses came down off the mountain. So because of that, we've got to learn today from this passage. First of all, we need to look at the people and understand how it is that a people that God had done so much for and promised so much could commit a sin that is this disgusting. And then we need to understand how it is that someone in the midst of that could rise to the call and do what it is that God has called them to do despite everything else that's going on around them. So number one, number one, if you're taking notes, let's talk first about the people of Israel. Number one, previous experience does not guarantee continued faithfulness. Previous experience does not guarantee continued faithfulness. You need to think about what Israel's been through. You need to think about, as we've walked through this series together, you know what they've seen. They've gone from being in slavery in Egypt to being delivered by those 10 incredible plagues to seeing the Red Sea part to going across on dry land to having water provided from them from a rock and manna and quail fall from heaven. And the Lord has guided them by a pillar of fire. To say that these people had seen God work is an understatement over and over and over again the Lord had shown up in their life and yet after all of that we read 32 how is that 
How can you see God do what they had seen God do and then do what they did in Exodus 32? I want you to know something today because I believe that all of us are tempted by the same temptation that Israel was tempted by. It doesn't matter what you experienced yesterday. It doesn't matter what you experienced last week or last month or last year or last youth camp or whenever else. Your relationship with, the, with God has to be daily and hourly. You can't live live on what you did with God at a previous time in your life. I'm so thankful that God has moved in so many of you. As I look around, I'm positive of the works that God has done and how God has delivered and healed so many of you. You are a sanctuary and a people that are listening today who are walking, talking testimonies to the grace and power of God. It's hard for me to even look around this sanctuary and not find one of you that I couldn't say, hey, could you stand up and tell me something that God has done for you and you'd probably say well you're going to have to sit down because this is going to take a while but that doesn't mean you're going to serve him today and that doesn't mean you'll serve him tomorrow and you can't live on the past you've got to understand that a relationship with the Lord has to be vibrant that's why you're called to be in the word every day and to pray every day and rededicate yourself every day and repent of sin and confess and come before the Lord and be in church weekly and be a part of that because what we know is there's no such thing as a vibrant faith that's stale on yesterday's experiences it's impossible number two Number two, what you worship will determine who you are. Well, Moses comes down and he hears it. They're, they're singing. They're in the midst of some revelry. We're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. But this image that was created, I want you to see how perverse this is. Look at verse 5. What did he say they were going to have tomorrow? We're going to have a festival to the what? The Lord. That word there is Jehovah. He's talking about God, God, not not bull God, God, God. He said, we're going to have a festival to the Lord. Now, if you're going to have a festival to the Lord, you're going to have a festival to the Lord with a gold cow. So what Aaron was doing was making a graven image that was supposed to represent Jehovah. In other words, if Aaron was going to plead his case, he'd say, look, now I'm not telling them to worship other gods. I'm just giving them an image of our God to worship. But the problem with that is, and, and here's where we go a little bit deeper for those of you that, that, that kind of want the backstory to that. There's a reason they fashioned a bull. They could have fashioned whatever they wanted, but they fashioned a bull. And the reason for that is when they were in Egypt, there was a bull god. His name was Apis. And so they actually were going back to the idolatry of the land they had lived in before they were delivered. Now, how much sense does that make? Now, some of you are going, I can't believe they would do that. How many of you, after you've been saved, have turned back to the same sin that you were committing before you were saved? It's the same thing. You, you're going, why would I do this? So some of you, after having experienced that, have hit your knees in repentance and gone, I've seen the joy of the Lord. I've seen the freedom of salvation. I've seen forgiveness. And yet, here I am, back again. And so they come before the Lord supposedly going to worship this image that looks like God. But what we learn about it is this was no worship service. That it had disintegrated into the exact same type of worship that took place in Egypt. Now, because the translators of most modern translations of Scripture 
try to, to find the, the, I'll use the cleanest words possible, you may not, reading Exodus 32, get a full image of what's actually going on there. But when you see in verse 6, if you, if you look quickly with me at verse 6, you see a word. When, when he looks up, he said, it, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Remember that word, revelry, all right? I want you to remember that word. And then I also want you to look at verse 25. There's another description. They were running wild and they were out of control. Do you see that? Revelry, running wild, out of control. Everybody see those three, three words? What had happened was their worship had turned into the same thing that took place in Egypt when they worshipped Ipis, and it had become a sexual orgy that was taking place in front of God and everyone. And when Moses walks down, having spent 40 days in the presence of God, holding the tablets of God, he walks down and he sees this perverse sexual absolute apostasy that's taking place down at the base of the mountain. And, and you, you say, how in the world could it get there? It's because people still today, we fashion idols out of our own lust so that instead of having to meet God's requirements, we make a God that's going to grant our requirements. You don't think it'd be very hard, do you, to get people to want to be a part of a religion in which it was some sexual immoral cult? That's, that's the religion of the day. You don't, I don't have to tell you that. It's not just the homosexual agenda that we see today. It's the sexual agenda that we see today. Everything we see today, it's a world that worships sex. It's a world that worships pornography. It's a world that worships perversity. It's a world that wants to steal the innocence of children. It's a world that we are indicted because we have taken sexual things that God meant to be good for the people of God, and we have so turned it on its head that I would tell you if the world has made a bull god, if they have made an apis, they have made a bull god out of the exact same thing that they did in Exodus 32, and they've made a god that will give them the license for all of their perversity and sinful behavior. Friends, I'm telling you, this is exactly what we're dealing with. This isn't some story from long ago that has no application. Number three, and now we transition to looking at Moses' response to all of this. Watch this. You can be faithful even when others are not. Well, we need to hear that today. You can be faithful even when others are not. Don't miss verse 10. God tested Moses because God gave Moses an offer that most people wouldn't turn down. He offers him to completely kill every one of them and start back over with Moses. He is going to make the offer, make the test of Moses that you can be the new Abraham. I, I promised Abraham that I would turn him into a great nation. I can start that back over with you and wipe these people out. I've, this has been so good for me, this study, if it hadn't been good for anybody else, because I prayed this week, God, in some small measure, help me to love the people you've called me to lead like Moses loved Israel. Because at that point, I don't know why Moses wouldn't have just said, that's a good idea. Kill them. I'm sick of dealing with them. They question me every turn. Just kill them. Let's start over. But Moses pleads for them. 
He pleads for him, and he, he talks about the covenant that God had made, and he asked God not to do that, and we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But what we know is that this was meant to draw Moses deeper into his relationship with God, and it does. I think it's fascinating. Don't miss this point. I, I got... I couldn't help but laugh when I read this because in verses 7 and verse 10, if, if, or verse 7 and 11, when, when God is talking to Moses, notice how God refers to the people of Israel. He doesn't say my people. He says your people who you led out of Egypt. But then when Moses is talking to God, he says your people. I, and I'm reading that and I'm like, this, this is when you know you and God are tight. And I know how that goes because I've got kids and you know exactly what I'm about to say. When my kids do something great, they are my kids. When they do something they shouldn't do, they are Brooks' children. Right? You need to go do something with your kids. We hear that all the time. Your kid, your son, your daughter, and it's because we are saying they are acting more like you than they are like me. So they have this interchange going on, and Moses is telling the Lord, look, they're your people. They're, they're not my people. They're your people. He's reminding the Lord that the covenant that he made with them, you can be faithful even when other people are not. Number four, number four, act decisively and courageously regarding things of God. Act decisively and courageously regarding things of God. The people are breaking the law, so what does Moses do? Verses 19 and 20. He smashes the tablets. Now there will be more tablets that Moses engraves, but these are tablets that God himself engraved, and Moses busts them up into pieces because he is showing the people that they have broken the covenant, that they have shattered the relationship that is taking place. But if that was all he did, that would have been pretty impressive. But did you catch what else he did with those tablets? It said he smashed them so fine that he ground them into powder. And then he took the powder. And what did he do with the powder? He threw it into their water source. And then he hauled everybody up there and made them get a cup of water. And he made them drink it. Right? We've got this golden calf destroyed. We've got the tablets destroyed. And then he takes the golden calf, grinds it up, puts it in the water. Why? Moses' point was that you're going to eat this idol, and then after you eat it, I want you to look down. Now listen to me, because there are going to be gold flecks in it. And when you see the gold flecks where you have disposed of your own human waste, I want you to clearly know how much power that idol had. And then we hear this next part of the passage that you almost wish you could just leave out. Verse 27, Moses says, is there anybody left here who still loves God? And the Levites, they run to Moses and say, we're still for the Lord. He said, we're about to find out, strap on swords, because you're about to go on a killing spree. And when you read about this, I want you to kind of get a, a, just a picture of the numbers. It said they killed 3,000. That's a lot of people. 
I don't know what it must have been like for the Levites that day with sword in hand when they saw their brother who had led the people to the golden cow when they cut off his head and their brother's head was laying there in front of where the idol had stood. I don't know what it must have been like. But I can tell you that we need to study stories like this more and more because we need to understand just how holy God is. Just how much he demands purity in his worship. And some of you are thinking right now, well, that's not fair. If God were fair, every one of your heads would be cut off. Now, people don't like that answer. But the truth of the matter is, is because you don't have clean hands and you don't have a pure heart, that the only way you will ever achieve that is by the blood of Jesus. That if God in his justice and his wrath carried out what he should have on every human soul, there would be a sword that would be applied to every neck. And the fact that God has not slain everyone because of their sinful behavior is where the glory and the grace should come off. Act decisively and courageously regarding the things of God. Number five, number five, prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. People often wonder, what is the use of prayer if God is sovereign? If God knows everything that's going to happen and he's in control of everything, what good does prayer do? Yet we see here what James 5.16 says, that the prayers of righteous men avail much or they make a big difference. In verses 12 and 13, Moses appealed to the deliverance of Egypt. He said, look, if you delivered them from evil in Egypt and you kill them now, you're going to be a, it'll be a laughingstock. He talked about the covenant with the patriarchs. In fact, it, it's interesting. When we sang this morning, what did we sing? Oh, God of Jacob. But notice here, Moses doesn't use the word name Jacob. Who does he say? Your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and who? Israel. Why? Jacob's name was changed when the covenant was made, and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And so Moses in his prayer said, you're the one that changed his name. You made it Israel, and now this is Israel, your covenant people. And so God appealed to him on that account. But then God goes back, then, the, then Moses goes back and play, prays what I believe to be the boldest prayer in all 66 books of the Bible. I don't think you missed that. Because in verse 34, he said, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out too. Moses didn't have a full understanding of what substitutionary atonement was just yet. Because obviously the New Testament had not come. So Moses couldn't have been a sacrificial lamb for them. He couldn't have paid for their sin. But his offer was legitimate. And he says, if you're going to destroy these people, if my going to hell will keep them, from being destroyed, then you can blot me out of your book. What a powerful prayer. Paul prayed this same thing, you'll remember in Romans 9. The difference in Paul and Moses, though, is that when Paul prayed that, that he would be cut off for the sake of the Jews. Paul knew that it couldn't happen. Paul's theology was so developed at that point, he knew that God, that that wasn't going to happen. Moses didn't know at the point that he made this prayer that God wouldn't take his offer. Take me. What Moses would have known was the story of Abraham and Isaac. 
And he would have remembered the story of Isaac being sacrificed on the altar. And so Moses appeals to God on that same. He said, I will be the Isaac that is laid on the altar if you'll just save these people. What we know is that God didn't destroy them all, that certainly there was punishment. And that punishment took place and plagues broke out, but God didn't annihilate every one of them. And the reason was is because they had someone who was interceding for them. Now, if you're going to sit here today and say, well, Brother Larry, I don't need you to go anywhere after the service because I need you to explain to me perfectly how the prayers of men and the sovereignty of God coexist. I'm not going to be able to do that. It is one of the beautiful mysteries of the gospel of how God takes the prayers of men and allows them to interact with his sovereign will and that God takes our prayers and changes things changes the course and the action of things because his people are willing to pray it's one of the reasons why i think that prayer is one of the most underutilized assets that we have as the church and individuals because god hears the prayers of his people god hears the prayers of the righteous and it says that it avails much moses knew he was even though sincere he was not an acceptable offer like israel you and I both know that we often pay no attention to the holiness of God, that we turn to everything else. Maybe it's not a golden calf, but friends, I can tell you that it shouldn't take long for you to feel the indictment that you have placed things above your God. And so because of that, what we know is that the wrath is sure to fall. It fell with the Levites and the swords. It fell when the Lord sent curses and plagues that the wrath of God is sure to fall. But if you fast forward from Exodus chapter 32 all the way to a conversation that took place between the Father and the Son when Jesus looked at his Father and said, if you're going to send them all to hell, could I take their place? Now Moses was not an acceptable offer because he was not a perfect substitute. But when God heard the offer of his own son, his only begotten, he heard that offer and he accepted that offer so that when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin so that in that immediate moment when Jesus' blood flowed and he cried out, it is finished, when he defeated sin and death, what we now know is that there is a perfect, acceptable sacrifice, the one who paid, so that when the wrath of God falls because he is jealous and he demands that his worship be pure. Friends, if we know that reality, we know that we're in trouble because we stand before him with dirty hands and a dirty heart. But friends, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, by his blood and by his sacrifice and by his atonement on the cross, is now the perfect sacrifice so that when I stand before the Lord and say, give me clean hands and a pure heart, it is because my heart has been replaced with a heart of stone, with a heart of flesh that God has given me by the power of the gospel, that my hands are now clean and they're not stained with my sin because the blood of Jesus has washed over them. So when we come before the Lord and say, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. We are saying, oh God, I repent of my idolatry and I come before you and I'm asking the Lord Jesus the only acceptable sacrifice to come over my life so that I may be forgiven so that I can stand before you. So that instead of standing in front of your judgment, I sit in front of your mercy and praise God 
that we have a substitute, that we have a sacrifice, that we have a Savior. And praise God that even in the worst of times and even in the most despicable of situations and scenarios, that we have a God that we're able to lift our heads and we're able to see that he can deliver and to deliver in a way that only he can.